This episode may contain explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. This is part two of a two-part special episode. As November is Native American Heritage Month, we here at Third Paradigm felt it would be just to give additional time to all of our Native American brothers and sisters. We strive to give a platform for all those who feel unheard here on Third Paradigm. But for this special episode, we decided to split it into two parts. Thank you for listening to Third Paradigm. We release episodes every Saturday. Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The host and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We here at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the hosts share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. Um, well, thank you all first for sharing that. I mean, I know it's not easy, but uh, like I said, this education is so necessary and um, it can only come from voices like yours. Absolutely. Um, and we, also, on a side note, Kelly, I know you mentioned about the um, Native Hawaiian community. I think we might actually have an entire episode dedicated to that because that is a huge part of our history that's a- that is also within recent memory. Um, for many people who don't know about what happened to Hawaii and how Hawaii ended up becoming annexed into the United States unwillingly. So that that's definitely going to be a whole episode. I'm pretty yeah. good. Hell yeah. And I got some folks if you are if you don't uh, uh, if you don't have any I have folks I can refer to you that are there and that really are in the uh, Hawaiian sovereignty movement, you know, still making lots and lots of moves. So yeah, like 100%. Absolutely, I think we're gonna definitely do that because I know when we were talking about sacred grounds, I know Mauna Kea is definitely a huge issue that's happening in Hawaii right now. Yes. Um, Thank you again for everyone sharing their opinions and views. Um, Yes, so yeah, move on to the next question because yeah, that, that is a whole topic. Uh, um, I remember that did happen. I believe The Rock got in on that one too, actually, uh, for the ancestral land, along with Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, there is this question, and um, we're going to kind of go a little deeper. Um, how does intra, intra, I-N-T-R-A, intra-tribal slash cultural dynamics tie into the intersectional um, dynamics of within your own community. So like how does race and then sexism and class, gender or gender identity, um, even maybe just the structure of gender, is it something that always existed in the indigenous community or was it something that is, um, or is it something that was introduced as it was to, I believe, African-Americans as a uh, colonial artifact even, um, manhood, womanhood, like roles in within your own community. How, how, does that, how, how does that work within your own tribe, within your own culture, uh, as well as how does it affect the way that you exist in this country, both 
as sovereign, but also as a, as in, in having to interact with a, a, the United States. Let's see, uh, Kelly, would you like to start? I would love to. Um, <laughs> so, okay, if I think I'm understanding what you're saying, um, the way I can answer or kind of like add on to that is that settler, colonial, settler colonialism came as a structure, as a project, and it's ongoing. And so what that does is it introduces um, concepts of gender, it introduces concepts of, um, which is huge, which is huge in, um, in, in our community. It's like, it, we can look back to our language, okay? A lot of native languages don't have gender in them. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of indigenous language don't have uh, yes, they have like man, woman, right? Like words for like man and woman, but it's very much like not gendered, you know? Mm. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we were coming. Now, when you talk about, you know, settler colonialism as an ongoing structure, like you can't forget about um, religion and what religion has done, right? So like religion um, comes with many different facets in which we, that's where gender also comes into, right? Um, so what that looks like is, um, in my communities at least, is like men historically, um, native men historically uh, abusing their power um, and, and um, harming the communities because they're trying to figure out what their role is after we've all been uh, colonized, right? Um, women, I know a lot of Native women um, in, the, in my communities today that are just now kind of rising into power, if you will. Um, and we see that with uh, Deb Howland, um, Congresswoman, you know, and Sharice, Sharice? I can't remember her name. She's from Kansas, too. So, so you know, it, it's very complicated, I would say, overall. It's very, very complicated, and it also depends on where you're from. Um, and by that, I mean, like, what tribe you are. Um, and, and I can go a lot of different ways, but I think I'm going to wrap up this question by saying it's complicated, um, and it starts with the education of what has happened to our people in order to understand the, uh, the gender dynamics um, and uh, what's happened with our people. Yeah, thank you. Because you kind of touched on it earlier about how certain tribes will go by the mother, but other tribes will go by the father, and some tribes will go by mm -hmm. both. So thank you for that education, because that is, wow, that is so crucial to learn. And I remember actually during the impeachment of Donald Trump that um, I read in the original constitution that was done by the five great nations, it was the men who were the chiefs, but it was the women who had the power to impeach the chiefs. Yeah. So, so, and the irony of that is that's kind of what happened with the Speaker of the House being Nancy Pelosi, you know, for better or for worse, she was the one that actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> Amber here, if I may, uh, Go ahead. Kelly, she doesn't mind. No, you're totally fine. Um, there's also something, uh, based on the, what she was talking about gender-wise, there's something called two-spirit. Yes, um, I heard that. Yes. It's where somebody doesn't identify or they can identify as both a man and a female. They dabble in both aspects 
and that just goes to show how forward-thinking indigenous people were even back then to how a lot of Americans and such think today about transgender and gender fluid people. Absolutely. And it just makes you think like they were more forward-thinking than anyone that, well, not, I shouldn't say anyone, but for their time, they were more forward-thinking. Right. They were more accepting of yes. people as human beings that were different from them. Way more Correct. accepting. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, Anthony, do you have anything to add? Um, well, uh, not being from like a predominantly native community, I can't say anything too much about like community roles, but I know that like through my involvement and being around like the community and stuff, it seems like what I do know is the role of men and like, especially me as like a young man, uh, is like to pull my weight, you know, make sure everybody's good. Um, sure like, you know, women and children and elderly people eat first, uh, seems to be like common themes. So, you know, young men will eat last, um, seems like it's more of our job to make sure the food is put on the table and make sure like somebody's watching the fire, somebody's watching the drum, uh, you know, things like that. Um, but I don't really see any, like, any kind of, like, toxic masculinity, uh, in these communities, which is something that I think was, uh, taught to us and brought over to us by, like, you know, colonizers. I see. So you're, so you say that basically kind of a, maybe in a traditional sense, maybe not in a offensive sense, in a paternal sense, but more so, which is the type of sexism that usually men have done to women, but more so in, there's a division of risk that men to particularly take on in the community um, that that's, that's maybe traditional in a sense. Right. And I think that like masculinity when practiced correctly is beneficial for the whole community. You know, you need uh, masculine men to be able to protect communities and also to be able to like, like I was saying, like get food for the community. You know, women are not, we're not expected to like hunt and go get food, things like that. And I think that it, it makes sense. You know, there's a different kind of risk we want them to take. Um, it's better for them to, um, you know, make sure everything, everything that we can't take care of while we're, while we're gone or I, I'm, eh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to word it without sounding too like, uh, problematic right. cause I, I guess it can be taken like certain kinds of ways. Uh, it, eh, but what I'm, what I'm getting at is like the roles I see native men playing in like the community. Uh, seem to be like uh, more for doing hard work, risk-taking work, uh, and making sure everybody else is good, you know, which is like the the sacrifice you've got to make from, you know, the genetics you have from being a big, strong man. I see. So, and, and to clarify, I there are certain um, ethnicities to this day, actually, that still have a lot of women that hunt just like in the um, animal kingdom. The lioness actually are the ones that do the hunting, so there are women that will take on those risks as well. It may be different from tribe to tribe and whatnot, but you've seen in the, the community specific to yours that I guess maybe through consent, um, men take on certain levels of risk while women take on certain levels of workload that men don't take on and that it's agreed upon and it's, I mean, granted, do you, do you feel like that it, it is allowed for women where you seem to take on risk or is it looked down upon? 
Oh, no, yeah. I think that's definitely allowed. Like, there are a lot of women who are in leadership roles, like, at American Indian Health and Family Services, where I get, like, most of my uh, immersion into community. Um, mm-hmm. There are plenty, plenty of women who are in, uh, you know, high-up coordinating management leadership uh, roles. And I think that in itself shows, like, how welcome they are to, uh, or more, how progressive they inherently are with, like, what, letting women do work they like to do. Because, like you said, it's all consensual, um, you know, labor that the man is doing. So, that the right. man is doing. So, the woman were to decide that she wanted to eat last and let young men eat first or something like that, or she wanted to, uh, you know, go out and help build or take care of something, I'm sure she could. Uh, it just seems like, you know, if someone else was going to do it, you might as well let them because it'd be more work for me if I didn't, uh, which is I see. completely understandable, you know. I see. And like the work that the work people are also more comfortable doing, it seems like the roles that we play within these communities are things that we've settled into as we've grown up because, you know, there are a lot of people who, uh, you know, who don't like to drum or who like, like to set up a sweat lodge or who like to, um, who like to dance instead of doing, you know, a, a bunch of other things that we could do. I see. So, and, let me correct myself by saying the word allowed because that in and of itself, that premise was wrong, but that, but it is respected in a sense more so. Um, but yeah, like I see what you're, so there's more, it sounds to me from everybody that has spoken thus far that maybe in the indigenous community, what is uh, kind of the norm is maybe more of an egalitarian rather than a patriarchal type of setup where people can kind of choose the work and the risk they want. Even if there is like a trend, it's by consent. Am I getting that right? Definitely. Amber speaking. Um, I think it, it, it depends on the tribe itself because I know there's other tribes that um, nowadays, you know, more women are involved in a lot of things. But um, in the groups that I've talked to that, there were some gender roles in some tribes where the men went out and hunted and the women gathered firewood, did the fighting, mm-hmm. did the tanning, did the cooking, took care of the children, you know, and the men ate first and then the women and children ate after that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a um, based tribe to tribe and pretty much how they were brought up, I guess, is how I'm trying to say it. Do do you believe that women may feel in certain tribes one thing is sexist and one thing is not sexist? Um, maybe even within the tribes, uh, there are colorism issues, and then there are there are cross uh, tribal issues that still exist between tribes where to kind of maybe emulate race like black versus white or Asian versus Mexican, you know, whatever that might be like. Or you know, there, I mean, I what are the what are the class issues like within tribes as well? I personally don't know, but from when I'm talking to, because a lot of the groups that I'm in are, they are uh, many different tribes and many different people coming from many different places in the United States. So, um, and they seem to get along. They just tell their stories and how their culture is. I'm not, I mean, I know back then they were more against each other, but I think now, now natives are coming, kind of coming together to bring awareness to us, pretty much. <laughs> That's the way I feel. I'm not sure how the others... Yeah, um, 
Yeah, anybody else that wants to chime in, um, and we'll move to the next question. It's Elizabeth here, and um, I believe with most tribes, or at least historically, they had a um, matrilineal societal structure where the women made the decisions, um, decided which wars, and the men would go off to fight the wars. I know with some tribes that um, lived in teepees, that the women were the ones to construct and take down um, the teepees as the men hunted for uh, bison. Um, and then as far as like current days, it's very difficult to implement tribal structures within this colonized system. Um, so I've seen very, several uh, scenarios where it becomes very tricky um, to honor both. That's all I have. Okay, thank you. And did we leave anybody else out? Oh, and I'm so sorry, one other thing about classism. Um, oh, please, please, thank you. There, there, there is colorism. There is talk about what um, people who are enrolled in a tribe, what they might spend their, um, called per cap, what they would spend their money on. So some kids might get to shop at the mall with unlimited resources, whereas other kids are wearing hand-me-downs. So it is like a tribe-to-tribe -tribe conversation. Um, colorism here in Michigan, I do know with some tribes you're going to find um, that tribe mixing heavier with African-Americans and other tribes that people will be white passing. Um, and also with uh, whatever effort the United States government um, has enlisted to serve the tribes through the casinos, when you get bigger money, you get bigger toys. So whereas some vices might have been problematic on reservations, um, when more money is coming in, then uh, everyone was affected by opiates. Um, mm. Now, cocaine might be the issue or a more expensive uh, drug. And then the whole thing about natives getting free money because of the casino, um, it's that's pure trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I thought so. Alrighty, so I think we got everybody a chance to go around that question. Thank you so much. I mean, you all are, you all are, are, are giving us a, and the whole world an education on what's really going on, which is the purpose of this show. Uh, Claire, do you want to move on to the next question? Okay, absolutely. It looks like we have about three questions left. And again, we want to thank everyone for being on the show because we don't feel that there's enough um, information out. Well, it's not so much there's not enough information out there, but there's not enough spotlight for native people to speak out and be able to say, hey, this is this is our perspective. Um, and oftentimes when there is that chance to, it seems that it gets overlooked, like you were mentioning earlier, like, did you know there was a native that ran? Oh, no, I didn't know that. So thank you again so much for responding to these questions. So our third to the last question that we have is, Describe your feelings about blood quantums. And for those who are listening who don't know what that means, according to the Association of American Indian Affairs, a blood quantum is the amount of Indian blood one possesses is determined by the number of generations of Native people one descends from. The process the federal government uses to determine whether they consider some a Native American. So it's 
based on that. So we can direct that question to, let's say, Amber, how do you feel? Um, I really don't know how I feel about that. I, I kind of feel like um, the government shouldn't decide how much native somebody is. I think the native tribe mm -hmm. should be able to decide if they think that they belong in the tribe or not. Um, I have a friend who was adopted by a white family and she was um, full-blooded um, Chippewa. And even though she was adopted into a white family, she tried to get to know her heritage and the tribe still did not accept her, even though she was full-blooded Chippewa. So I think it should be up to the tribe, not up to the federal government itself. If that's what it means. <laughs> yeah, that makes absolute sense. Yeah. Elizabeth, how do you feel? I think it is in the benefit of the government. I believe it is insidious, sinister, and odious for them to tell people who and what they are so that eventually um, there won't be any tribal members because of the ridiculous blood quantum. They only do that with what thoroughbred horses. Um, it made me think of something else, but I've lost track. Um, it's just, it's bad mojo. Absolutely. Anthony, how do you feel? Yeah, it's not cool. And like with, you know, this is another part that I just feel like being black gives you a whole other perspective of because what if they were to tell us how black we were based on if we could trace our ancestry back to slavery or Africa? Like virtually no black person alive could, you know, it's really hard to do stuff like that. I mean, I'm not going to say virtually, no. There are plenty of people who can, but I say the vast majority of us could not. And that's because of how hard they tried to eliminate, like, our history. So you really can't even, to, to say you're going to, like, test somebody's blood to see how native they are, like, how many generations they can trace back, I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. Uh, the government should not be the one to decide how much of any race someone is, and let alone base their, like, you know, their financial freedom on that. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it can get very daunting, especially when it's like, how am I going to prove it? Especially if there's not enough record that's out there for it. Kelly, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, thank you to um, everybody else and their answers. Um, so blood quantum came, um, blood quantum equals benefits, it equals land. So uh, allotment acts uh, back in like the 1800s, um, blood quantum was assigned because the more blood quantum, the more Indian blood you have, the more land you can get. So the federal government doesn't want us to have the blood quantum, you know, because they want to acquire the land. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so. Eventually, too, what happens is the less blood, blood quantum we have, there's this idea of, like, extinct people, right? Like, natives being extinct, and that is very much not the case. Um, I am enrolled in the Blackfeet Nation, um, and I don't take that lightly, because there are a lot of uh, native relatives that I have, you know, including you folks here, that may or may not be enrolled, you know? Um, my mom grew up with her dad telling her, 
um, that she needs to be with another Indian so her kids can have native blood. With that, I get told that I need to have kids with another Indian so my kids will have Indian blood, you know? Um, the way that it came into our culture, um, the way the lateral violence that comes with blood quantum on each other. Oh, I'm more Indian than you. I'm more native than you, you know? It, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know? It's another way for the government to racialize us. Um, another way for the government to control us and try to uh, kill us, you know? Um, as Elizabeth said earlier, it's to kill the Indian to save the man, you know? Um, and so blood quantum has always been a hot topic. Um, and I have, yeah, and it's just absolutely terrible. Uh, this is nuance here, and since you brought that up about the government, I found it a little interesting that someone who was 100% native, I don't know if they proved it through their blood, but they got rejected by the tribe. Just, I kind of wanted a little clarity, like, what, was there a reason for that? Is it more about the culture of how they were raised versus the amount of resources they would get? So I just wanted them to understand those dynamics as to why that might happen. I have an well, answer, if not. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, uh, Amber, because I have an answer to that if, if you didn't. Well, in her case, it was because she was adopted to a white family. Um, and even though she could trace her family back to being, her father was in the tribe, her mother was not. But they were both so blooded, and she, was, she had a sister. Her and her sister were both not accepted into the tribe because they were adopted into a white family. I that what her explanation was when she talked to me about it. And I'm not sure if there's actually a reason. So Kelly, if you would like to. Yeah, uh, that's a really common thing, uh, unfortunately, that um, Amber's talking about. And the same thing kind of happened with my sister. I have a, a blood sister, me and her have different moms, and she was trying to get enrolled. Um, and she has the right amount of blood quantum for our tribe because every tribe is different. So for our tribe, you have to be a quarter Blackfeet to be enrolled, right? And so what they did is they denied her. They were like, no. And all they, like, they didn't really give any reason, but what it comes down to is like uh, financial stuff and like her caps and stuff like that. It comes down to money is what it comes down to. So like, although you get more money for more tribal members, it's still more disbursement of land and resources and money for the tribes. Um, you know what I'm saying? So there's still this aspect of like, well, now we have a tribal government, but the tribal government now gets to play the government. You know what I'm saying? And they get to determine who is and who isn't. And that in itself is also a hot topic. So with that being said, my sister is now going to be enrolled in the Little Shell Chippewa Cree tribe because we're two different tribes. Um, and they're, they're based out of Montana as well. Oh, you can tell your friend, Amber, tell your friend to do a Little Shell. We'll talk after. <laughs> okay. yeah, 
problem, I think, but most of the problem was is the tribe that she was, I don't know what the tribe was. All I know is it was a Chippewa tribe. And I, and I know that her tribe, she told me that her tribe actually has, a, they own a casino. So I don't know if it's because I, I, I it was, I don't, I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, go ahead if, if there's anything to add, but, um, no, just that, you know, um, it, I don't know if it, that money aspect was in on it too, or I'm, I'm not really sure how all that works because I'm not part of that. Gotcha. All right. Well, we'll be moving on to um, the last two questions. Thank you for the education again. Um, this is question, the second to last question is, um, and it's kind of based on the last question, what is your feeling regarding cultural appropriation of your culture? This kind of includes sports logos and icons. Um, what, what do you think the line is between appropriation and appreciation and respect? And then how do you feel about your culture being shared among non-natives, including white passing people? And uh, do you think that there are some things that should be monetized and not monetized, or everything is up to be monetized? Everything can be made with money about your culture. And uh, we'll start with Amber. Oh, wasn't expecting that. Um, <laughs> I think the native culture is actually there's so many things that people make money off of with the native culture um i go on facebook and there's facebook ads on there that are from uh asian companies that are selling what they say are native american items or indigenous items and it's just I think our culture gets um, that they can make the most money off of it, off of, uh, I, I don't know how to word it. <laughs> like, it's okay. I know, there's, I, I, know I have, I have um, a person that I do speak with. He is very against, um, uh, in the group that we have, we welcome everybody that just wants to learn and uh, wants to understand what the Apache people do. He is very against that. He wants it only to be Apaches, and that's it. Just just people from the tribe. Uh, nobody who's not part of a tribe. And, you know, we're trying to explain to him that we're trying to get people to understand who we are and give people insight and have people learn what is cultural correct and what is not, like what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. Thank you so much for sharing that one because it is very interesting. Like from listening in the last question with the blood quantums, um, it does feed into that question of who should and shouldn't do something. And especially that's why we also added in that part where it's with white passing people. Like we're talking about who is native, who is not native. If a person is white passing and they start doing something that looks offensive, is that right? Is it wrong? Uh, Anthony, how oh, do you feel? Just... Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, well, I don't have a problem with like people from a culture ever making money off their culture. Like, 
you know, uh, we all got to eat. We live in a capitalist country, so if people, like, make deep work and sell it at, like, powwows, and white people go to those powwows and they want to buy it, then so be it. Uh, my problem is them, like, then trying to resell it as some kind of artifact or something or something like that and pollute it um, when it was made to, like, help someone eat. Um, and now this person is using it as, like, uh, some, some kind of, like, I, I think it's kind of, I think that whole reselling thing is kind of malicious when it's done that kind of way. But, um, what, what were the other parts of the question? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to confuse everybody. I, I added a couple more layers to it. Uh, initially, it's just how do you feel your culture is being used? Do you feel it's being appropriated or appreciated, like in sports and logos? And then I kind of added on to the monetization part of it, which I thought would be interesting. And um, and then how do you feel about non-natives and white peasant people using it? Yeah, uh, the appropriation in sports, like the Cleveland Indians, the Washington Redskins, or now the Washington football team, like that's never been cute. It's never been cool. Um, I also think it's kind of like ironic how like our, our skin is not even red. Like who really turns red when they get upset or too hot or too cold? You know, it's, it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> I always thought I always thought it was pretty like interesting how they choose to like paint us like that. And they could say like, oh, we're paying you to be a a savage football team or something like that. Like why don't you just paint the savage football players then and. You know, it makes more sense now that they're the Washington football team than it ever did. Uh, why don't they just make their logo a football helmet? You know, that would make a lot more sense if you want to be a savage and scary football team than to try to be uh, a Native American who's got red-colored skin or something like that. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's always been kind of ridiculous. And the fact that it's taken this long for people to realize that that's not okay, should not be socially acceptable, I mean, I'm glad, but I'm still upset that it's taken this long absolutely kelly how do you feel it's um i think it's really exploitative you know um you know as anthony mentioned that you know we do live in a capitalist country and so what you know um exploiting other cultures you know um is a quick way to make a dollar you know um i've talked about this obsession that Americans have with um, with with uh, indigenous people, you know, I don't know what it's about, and it's something that I um, don't spend as much time trying to figure out. But you know, um, non-natives um, in America really do have an obsession with with uh, native people, you know, um, and our culture. And the problem with all of that, right, is like cultural exploitation is the fact that our culture is very sacred. It's sacred. Dream captures are sacred. You know, our sweet grass, our sage is sacred. You know, those things are our medicine that is used um, to help our people. And they've just, they've been exploited, you know? Um, I find, I, I have like a lot of friends or people that I see that, um, have dream catchers everywhere. I don't even, I don't even use dream catchers no more. Cause I'm like, well, it doesn't even matter. You know, um, it's, it's things like that, you know, clothes, patterns, patterns with clothing, a lot of high fashion, um, 
uh, a lot of high fashion designers have used native um, native designs, appropriate native designs, you know, for profit and given no credit, right? So, you know, I mean, it's just another way uh, that society, American society, has shown that they don't uh, care about us, that they don't respect us, um, and that, you know, they're willing to capitalize on whatever means necessary. Uh, so, yeah. Absolutely, and it makes sense too because it's like, like we were speaking earlier about how there was the wiping of the indigenous people, and then there was the laws that that prevent that that illegally made it for people to practice, and then all of a sudden it became a trendy thing or something cool and all this, and it's like it, it waters it down to the point to where, like you're saying, everything is sacred. And it gets to the point to where it no longer is practiced in the sense of being sacred. It ends up becoming something that's like cool or hip or something we can throw onto the runway. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Elizabeth, um, we just have Elizabeth last on that one. Yeah. Um, appropriation. Um, I heard the word sacred, and I have had my own personal experiences with um because we english is the dominant language um it somehow gets equated to religion i guess um like sacred or ceremony it becomes some type of um you have to unpack what that means to people uh if you can even ever get them to a point to distinguish between um a cultural practice as opposed to a religious worldview um, I've personally been in a Michael's, I think it was, store with my oldest several years back and they had like make your own dream catcher or something from China and she like yeah. tore all of them off the hanging and kicked them under the um, shelf. It was the funniest thing, but it's a real problem. It's, it's really, um, again, for money, it makes me think of... Um, tobacco being used for ceremonial purposes and then being made into a cash crop um, by the tobacco industry. Um, Yeah, it's like little things like that, that we have to have difficult conversations and um, switch out language to get people's attention to shift the way that they're thinking about whatever we're talking about, whether that's instead of saying Native American, indigenous peoples, like it kind of throws someone off track, or excuse me, off track um, to reconstruct the conversation. Um, it's not honoring uh, to steal someone else's culture. Um, I always wondered if the reason that so many Americans had like Chinese symbol tattoos was because American culture is so deficient, um, mm. unless you're talking about hot hot dogs and apple pies. Mm. Um, I'm just wondering if that is part of it and why people think it's okay to appropriate um, tribal aspects of tribal um, living, teaching, culture. I know that at American Indian Health and Family Services, um, there has been issues over the past of people 
culture vultures um, coming into sacred spaces and I guess they would say borrowing but coming back out to the suburbs and um, hosting their secret meetings. In fact, and they put it on flat. Oh, wow. Off of, off of um, is that why, no, Woodward, there's like a Dutch um, donut shop. That there's like yeah, a, D- um, Dutch Girls Donuts. I've heard of that place. Okay, so right, right around there, there's like a psychedelic um, rainbow house that I think used to have a... Um, a restaurant, and there was recently a Detroit rapper who overdosed. Um, I guess they have a tree house, but he overdosed, and the owner was more concerned about his hand drumming event that weekend. It's um, it's so disrespectful. If you want to know something, come and humbly act. And don't necessarily think that you can be strong-armed into getting an answer. It's just the way the approach is so different. And um, my father's father actually was white. So when I say this, I don't want anyone to think that I'm, like, white people in. But um, the white way or colonized way of doing things is to control and um, what would be it? always wanting to control things, always wanting to dictate and tell someone else how to do it, whereas tribal ways are to restore balance and harmony. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Hmm. These are excellent responses because I know it's a very I, big hot topic. Yeah, absolutely. Who is that? This is Amber. I just want to say that that's what I was trying to get around to. <laughs> what everybody else is saying about, you know, people capitalizing on indigenous ways and culture so the best way to appreciate the culture is just to come and ask basically like how to properly participate and when to and how to versus to just up and do it is what i'm getting am i correct i i know here at my agency um when well with um the three fires when you're approaching an elder to ask the question you need to get them with a tobacco pouch um, I know when I first went to the agency, I was like this super Americanized, colonized woman um, going down the lodge, 70, speed limits 55, grasping at the steering wheel, um, addicted to anxiety, um, coming in like in that very corporate, hello, my name is Elizabeth, and da 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 da, instead of finally falling back and just listening and observing. Um, and then a year or whatever later, I'm on the same stretch of the lodge. And I'm like, why are you grip, gripping those steering wheels so tightly? Why are you so anxious? You're going to the most peaceful place on earth. Don't act like the colonizers. So it just was so personally liberating to be um, walking in a good way. Um, and I could just, I can feel my ancestors even around me right now. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. So it sounds like, um, and we'll, we'll move on to the very last question, but I just wanted to plug this in here as well. So it sounds like at the very base end of it all, especially if the person is not of native uh, descent, it's best to just do the research and understand what it is that they're doing and what they're wearing. Like I know one of the biggest things that sparked a lot of this discussion um, within more recent years, at least on mass level, from my perspective, was debate over the war bonds, especially at like Coachella. 
and a lot of people spoke up and basically said wearing that is highly disrespectful because it is something that is earned. It's kind of like for someone who doesn't get that, it's like if somebody started wearing a Purple Heart, which is a medal of honor that's given for those who are, who fought in wars. Mm-hmm. And you can't just find one at a store and just put it on your head and just think that it looks really cool because that person didn't technically earn that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm going to plug in here before we move to the last question is from my personal perspective, one of the best ways to really help an indigenous community or a native community is just by native. Um, really try to find uh, vendors. I know like on Etsy and there's a couple others that are on there that are native owned and operated and a lot of them give an entire backstory of their product and how they may get it to where they avoid sacred symbols and all that. I would definitely recommend, especially with the holidays coming up, pushing buying more native owned businesses. Definitely. It's definitely must... a native-owned business in, uh, in the UP in Michigan. Um, oh, wow. By Big Ignis. Oh, cool. Um, please send us that link and, and also send us the links of like hotlines to help those women who are missing, who have been abused. I, we want to actually put that in the description. I didn't want to forget that. Um, so thank you for all that information. If we can just spread that information and that help someone see something, they can report it and uh, definitely to help native businesses because uh, especially with COVID going on, small businesses are suffering, uh, which is going to be our topic next week. And we definitely want to help native businesses. Yeah, so thank you, everyone. So moving on to our very last question, we'd like to do that one, Nuance? Yeah, yeah. Um, also, the plug, the uh, Samoa tattoos are very similar to that. You just shouldn't just go get up and get a Samoan tattoo. There's a whole earning that thing, that uh, ritual that I've heard about as well. Um, that's very similar. Uh, so the last question um, I wanted to ask, systematically, how do you feel the government and society should progress forward regarding indigenous communities in regards to self-determination for indigenous tribes as well as self-determination for the United States uh, citizens? Uh, anyone can take that. Uh, Anthony, you got an idea? Uh, well, the amount of reservation land has been decreased by like 90% over the past 100 years. So I would like a ton of land back, a bunch of financial support. We can funnel trillions of dollars per year into the military. I don't see why we can't funnel a few billion into actual communities in the country who are in desperate need of it. Um, uh, We need the same access to mental health resources that I think the whole country needs because suicide is a growing problem in the country and continues to just get worse. Um, as far as like any like individualized solutions, like I said, I think that uh, we need a lot of our land back. It was ours first, uh, unfairly taken from us, and there's a lot of unused and misused land in this country, which I think could be put to much, much better use by our people or just people who care about the land rather than seeing it as a commodity. Would you include the national parks in that? Like. I don't think that the government has a right to shut down or like block off any piece of land and call it theirs as a park. Um, It can be maintained by our people and by the earth itself as it has been for all of time up until like, you know, the 1800s and they don't need to come in here and stop that any longer. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Elizabeth, what do you think? Everything Anthony just said, and it makes me think of the fires in California and um, 
dismissing traditional practices when it comes to forestry. And now we have this huge problem that there's, like I heard, they people were being trained on the East Coast and sent out West. And now we have um, what we see today is very problematic. Um, the United States needs to just shut up and sit down and ask, well, no, just let tribal communities return to cultural practices because they were the original stewards of the land, not the property owners. Gotcha. I actually like that, that if you're a guest here, you're, you can be stewards, but not the property owners. I like that. I like that, uh, that analogy. Uh, how about you, uh, Kelly? Uh, yeah, can, we, can you, uh, can you uh, read the question again, please? Yeah, so the question is, moving forward systematically, how does this government, the United States government and society progress forward in regarding to indigenous communities in the sense of the indigenous communities have self-determination alongside with United States citizens also having self-determination. So how do we respect indigenous communities as U.S. citizens? And then how do both U.S. citizens and tribal communities, um, indigenous communities work together in that self-determination? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to my mind, that's a really loaded question. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is to um, think, like, especially for the listeners out there, um, figure out what land you're on. Um, figure out what land you're on and and do some research as to that land and how you can work with the indigenous folks um, of the land that you're settled upon, you know. Um, I'm not sure if I quite understand this question, but, you know, I think um, a lot of it, you know, even the, for example, the Cabell versus Salazar case, you know, Cabell was a distant relative of mine, and for those that don't know, it was, um, but we, there, the class, there was a, there was a lawsuit that was settled um, back in, I think, 2009, um, that was given to uh, indigenous people of the land to, um, for all the money that was stolen out of the Department of Interior, you know? Um, and I think that, you know, Anthony hit it on the head. It's like land back. And, you know, that's a huge movement. And it starts with the people that own private property, you know, um, in, in America. You know what I mean? Like in the United States, it starts with the citizens doing their research, taking responsibility and accountability as a settler on indigenous land. Um, and so, uh, and I want to plug this uh, Sorora Chain Land Trust, um, which is an indigenous women-led organization here in the Bay Area um, that is taking little, little that people, citizens are gifting them little pieces of land here and there. Yes, yes. And they already have like three different plots of land in Oakland and in Berkeley. You know what I'm saying? because they are making change, you know? And, and so, but it started with the citizens. Like they have a fully running and functioning organization um, that has a whole, that has a, um, that can pay people to survive. 
white people are paying dues and it starts with, you know, giving land back and it starts with paying the indigenous people who were the original stewards of the land. Gotcha. Thank you. And uh, I think Amber, you're the last one. I have to agree with the rest of the panel. They, um, they, they hit some points uh, about, you know, getting back land and sacred land and uh, burial sites and stuff like that. That's very important for the Native community to get back. And um, what they consider government land, it should really not even be government land. It should go back to the indigenous people. Um, also, to uh, tap on to, to have the government stop taking Native children uh, in mm-hmm. the way of legally doing it by CPS and that sort of thing. Um, and what is CPS? Really hard. Pardon? What is that? Uh, child Tech Services. Oh, okay. I understand. Yeah. Uh, or DHS or however, what part you come from. But there's uh, some states that are taking the children and keeping them for a very long time and making it almost impossible for the families to even get their children back. They can do every single thing that they get told to do by the government and the government still won't give their children back. And that's just just stealing the children. It's it's a big thing with me. Um, Stop stealing kids. That is very disheartening because I know yeah. that something that is happening at the border with those with the, the children who are locked in literal cages is that a lot yeah. of the children who are down there have also been put up for adoption to Americans and oh, that wow. intersects into a whole other department that right. we discussed on this adoption episode uh, this past week. But you're you're right. There's a lot of indigenous communities and um, children who are on the border that it, tearing families apart is like this whole part of our history in this country and it's very disheartening because it's like somebody mentioned earlier that history is to some extent repeating itself and because we fail or not we I want to say but because of how history is taught in this country we don't realize that it's it's, it's continuing it's the same thing Correct. and you can't have real efficient self-governance for anybody and that was the whole point of the question of self-determination is how does everybody have self-governance in a way that's peaceful, and I, I totally understand where everyone is coming from. You you have to make things right in order for there to be self-governance for anyone. Yeah, so it, and especially since they're, they're taking the children out and placing them into uh, non-indigenous families, um, and the natives that are that it's happening to, they're really pushing for them to put them in native homes mm-hmm. so they don't lose their culture. Right. And the government is actually refusing to do that. Wow. Yeah. And well, adopting the children out at that as well. Um, a lot of the children uh, are adopted out instead of given back to the family. Yes. And the children are the future. Well, well, thank you all for that um, very sobering look of America through your eyes, through your experiences, through history through honesty and also through hope and uh, and grit because even though with all this uh trauma and tragedy you're still here you're still thriving you're still trying to do things the right way and, and fight the right way you're not trying to hold on to hate but just saying let you know stop stop doing what's wrong and 
I am just very much proud of everyone who was a part of the show. Uh, we know this is a bit of a long one, but we wanted to give you all the time to really speak not just your truth, but really the truth um, that that is a piece of the puzzle for all of us. So um, we just thank you all for your participation. And uh, we hope the audience that you learned something, that you take it in, that you accept it as it is and try to be uh, a good neighbor and do good by everyone, especially the indigenous community. They are the first Americans. And with that clarity, I think we are done, correct? Yep, absolutely. And I just want to close it with one quick statement. This was said by a very, very dear friend of mine. I called her auntie. She's from, she's native Hawaiian. And she said, one of the beautiful, most beautiful things I've heard is she said, teach me how to walk on your land. Because mm -hmm. I feel that at the end of the day, like we've been discussing throughout this very special episode, that oftentimes we keep forgetting that this is not our land by, by birth. This is the native's land. This is the land that belongs to the indigenous people, belongs to the native communities. And it's, it's, it's basically, it, it's, it's, it's your land. And yeah. we, can't, we can't forget that. It was stolen and never paid for, you know? So, yeah. So, so on behalf of Thursday Paradigm, we wanted to thank all of our guests for coming out to this very special episode and for being open, vulnerable, and sharing your experiences. And we hope to hear you, see you back again for our special two-part episode at the end of the year. Yay, thank you so much for having me. Very nice to meet everybody else, too. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. So much. Thank you for having us. Kelly, this is Amber. We definitely need to talk after this. Yeah, connect. Yes. Please, connect. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Kelly. Elizabeth, thank you. Absolutely. Have a good day. Take care. All right, take care. Take care. Bye.